0: letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. A few weeks ago we looked at um, the Luke chapter 7 and the woman who was weeping at the feet of Jesus and denoting uh, that she was weeping uh, as she was experiencing the love of God for her in Jesus Christ, for her the sinner. And uh, tonight in Romans chapter 5, uh, Paul helps us um, to understand that love and to have that, uh, that experience of God's love for us as we uh, as he shows us how God has revealed and manifested his love to us. And so we're going to pick it up at verse 1, but we'll be looking at verses 5 through 11, Romans 5. Let's begin reading at verse 1. This is God's Word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, God, you've given the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, uh, you sent him to be the one to teach us, to lead us and guide us in truth, and Spirit, we ask that you do that tonight, open our eyes to see these wonderful truths that you've given to us in your word, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. A number of years ago, um, probably more than I would like to admit, uh, Sports Illustrated did a a story, cover story, of Rashad McCants, he he was a uh, basketball star at uh, North Carolina a university, a university of North Carolina, I think, uh, associate pastor here will probably remember uh, Rashad McCants. And uh, one of the things that uh, they noticed about Rashad was that he had two uh, tattoos, one on each arm, and uh, the one on the right arm said, born to be hated, and the one on his left arm said, dying to be loved. And uh, the comment that I sort of just made a note about, isn't that the universal condition of people? Uh, dying to be loved, uh, the desire to be genuinely, truly loved is uh, irrevocably irre- irre- ingrained into the heart of every person. We were actually, truly made for it. We were made to to be loved and to experience love. We can't we can't help but long for it and desire it. Uh, but, but sin clouds our minds, and, and um, we fall in love with things that don't love us back, things that wound us, poisons for our soul. Um, sin clouds our mind even as Christians, so that it, 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 it becomes hard for us to imagine that God could actually really love us. I just want you to imagine what difference would it make in your life? What would it do to you if you were convinced when you bounced out of bed in the morning that the almighty maker of heaven and earth, the God who created this beautiful day and and who made you, that God loved you, loved you passionately, loved you infinitely, and that everything that happened to you this day was going to be an evidence or the outworking of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. How would that change your life? Would it maybe make you more kind? Maybe maybe uh, make you more patient? Maybe more thankful? Maybe more bold in sharing your faith? Maybe just more joyful as you experience the, uh, the trials of life? Maybe more encouraged? Maybe more comforted? You see, the love of God is meant to wonderfully inspire and transform us. Uh, John Stott <clears throat> talks about how essential... Uh, an experience of the love of God is. He says, To be sure of the love of his or her parents is almost indispensable to the healthy emotional development of a child. To be sure of the love of a spouse or friend is marvelously conducive to human fulfillment. To be sure of God's love brings even richer blessings. It is the major secret of joy, peace, freedom, confidence, And self-respect if we can sense that we are loved of God um, these fruits will will be seen Um, well of all the things that the Spirit does one of the things one of the most important ministries the Spirit has is to convince us of the love of God to give us an experience of the love of God that is actually functioning in the way that we do life remember what Jesus said to his disciples as the father has loved me so have I loved you Abide in my love. God intends us to abide experientially in the reality of his love for us. It's one of the things that Paul prays for consistently when he prays for the churches. For example, in 2 Thessalonians 3 5, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love. Now, how does God do that? We've seen that it's God's desire. How does God do that work? Well, uh, Paul's going to talk about that here in Romans chapter 5. He's going to tell us uh, two things about this. First, uh, that the Holy Spirit has been given to us that we might experience the love of God. And then he points to the evidence of God's love in Christ. And so those are the things we'll look at. First, the experience of God's love poured out into our hearts by the Spirit. And secondly, the evidence of God's love in the cross of Christ. Verse 5, Paul tells us that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Uh, Two important truths to uh, remember here. One is that if you're a Christian, God has given you the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I remember when when I was... um, Going to the Assembly of God, I told you this story after, after, after college uh, for a while I was attending there, and one of the things that the, uh, there were a lot of uh, Dutch people coming out of the re, uh, Christian Reformed and RCA churches, and sort of a common theme was, uh, we finally discovered the Holy Spirit, uh, that, that Reformed people don't really get the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not true, but maybe there's at least a little truth there that we, we, we should think about. Um, maybe, maybe we do not reflect upon the, the wonder of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the incredible thing that God has done by giving to us to dwell within us the third person of the Trinity. Paul has said in verse 1 of chapter 5 that we have been justified and that being justified, we have peace with God. And the evidence of that peace that we have with God is that God comes and dwells with us, the presence of God. And every believer receives this. This is not for um, those who have special experiences or special privileges in the family of God. Every child of God receives this precious gift. And one of the ministries of that Holy Spirit is to pour into our hearts God's love. The Spirit is there to teach us and lead us and guide us in truth, as Jesus said to his disciples. And as he leads us into truth, into the truth of the gospel, we are the Spirit intends us to experience, to know, to be convinced that Almighty God loves us in Jesus Christ, loves us now, loves us in truth, delights in His children. We we saw that um, the Spirit's work in this uh, when we read earlier in the service in Ephesians chapter three, Paul's prayer there that he prays that. Through the Spirit's work in their inner being, they would have the power to grasp the love of God, the, the width and length and depth, and height, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that, that ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul says he's praying that God's people would know this, and, and that by knowing, this love that surpasses knowledge, they would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In other words, we don't, we don't grow uh, into the fullness of all that God has for us and into the fullness of who we are in Christ. We don't grow into that apart from an experience and a knowledge of this love that surpasses knowledge. Now, how does the Holy Spirit go about that work? So that's what he's committed to. So what the Spirit wants to do is is working to do in your life to convince you of the love of the Father for you. Now, how does He do that? Uh, well, we see that uh, in the verses six and following. The Spirit does that by leading us into an understanding, the conviction about the gospel, the things that God has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. There's some confusion about this. I think one of the uh, the reasons that the books, the Jesus Calling series now, it's it's nearly a genre, uh, the, the reason that's so appealing is that people want to experience God's love. And, and, uh, and, and she writes in a way that, that people have these, uh, they're looking for the subjective experience of God's love. There's nothing wrong with desiring a subjective experience of God's love. But the way the Spirit accomplishes that is not through just um, subjective experiences as maybe you're out walking. Now, God can do that, and He will it from time to time. Praise His name. But, the, but the, the, the way the Spirit seeks to assure us is He points us to the cross. He points us to the cross. Paul says, 4, verse 6, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It's a magnificent verse. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Romans 5, 6, it's one of the greatest verses in the whole Bible. I do not hesitate to assert that there is no greater statement of the love of God than in that verse. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, if we're going to be convinced that God loves us, if we're going to be convinced as we live in this real world where there seem to be evidences that would make us question the love of God, where loved ones um, uh, get sick and die, where, where, where children suffer, where uh, evil seems to be so strong, where tragedies happen that we cannot possibly make sense of, where sin never seems to leave us alone. There, there will be all sorts of things in your life that will, that will tempt you to question is this what a world would look like if God loved me? If God loves me, why am I experiencing these things? So we need, we need ground, we need, we need reasons, we need evidence. Things that you can stand on when you're in the midst of those times of temptation and questions. You, you need something to hold on to that will be a rock for you. And here's the rock. Christ died for the ungodly. You see, that the cross forces the, the casual observer to ask questions. Primarily, why is Jesus doing this? Why, why would Jesus allow himself to be crucified? Um, imagine you told the story to someone who never heard about the gospel, and you explained Jesus was the very Son of God, equal with God, uh, eternal in his being. And yet and yet, Jesus willingly set aside the glory of heaven and became man, fully God, fully man. And, and then he went and he died on the cross. And you told the story of the cross. And this person was, would say to you, well, why would the Son of God, who you tell me he created the whole world, just by speaking, he has that kind of power? Why would the Son of God let these, these wicked brutes beat him, and spit in his face, and mock him, and curse him, and drive nails in his hands and his feet? You can't help but ask the question. And then if you explained to him, oh, he was doing that to purchase the redemption of the people who were crucifying him. He was doing that to save wicked people like these men. And then his response is going to be, well, why in the world would he do that? I mean, if you have faced real evil, and you have, you, you, you've seen people who have, are given over to just wickedness, to hatred, to perversion. And, 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 and why would Jesus die for, for that? Because he did. That's what it means. Christ died for the ungodly. And the, you see, the answer is love. It's, it's the only possible answer. He did it for love. The logic of Paul's argument is very simple. Verse 7, one will scarcely dare to die for a righteous person, though, per, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. Uh, human love, is, uh, it might motivate you to give your life for a really good person, if, if, your, if your child is sick, a parent would be willing to give his life if it could save the life of your child. So that, that, that's true, but that's your, that's your precious little child. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. You see, the, the cross is not just a message of salvation. The cross is intended by God to be a revelation of love. It's, it, you haven't really seen the cross yet. If, if all you've done is you've sort of grasped its utilitarian purpose, that this is what it accomplished, you need to see that. But if that's all you see, then you haven't seen the full glory. What you need to see is, is what it accomplishes and the motive behind it. Because it's, it's the love that will blow you over. That God would, would love you to that extent. Knowing you. Knowing your sin. Your fickleness. Your perversion. Your, your hatred. Your greed. Your idolatry. Knowing you. God placed His Son on the cross to die for you. Now, this is this is wonderful news for sinners. For for you know people who think they've kind of got it all figured out. This is a bit ho hum. Um, the love of God doesn't surprise us because well, why wouldn't He? We're we're the good people, the good guys. Well, but if you're a sinner and you know that you're a sinner, this is wonderful news. So that when your conscience screams that you're not worthy, you can say, "You're right. I'm not worthy. It's not about my worth." When your sinful past rises up, right as the psalmist says, My sins rise up against me, prevailing day by day. But thou wilt show us mercy and take their guilt away. When your, when your past sin rises up, you can cling this verse, cling to this verse. Jesus died for the ungodly. When your ongoing weakness condemns you as being beyond the pale and reach of divine affection, this is what we hold to. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are you a sinner? Then you qualify. Your sin is no barrier to the love of God. He loved you in your sin, and and while you were in your sin, while you were hating him, he placed his son to die for you. Paul wants us to see that God shows His love, reveals His love, manifests His love so that, friends, when you look at the cross, don't just see something that God accomplished. See something that God um, desires, that you know His love for you. John Stott says, God's love in Christ is absolutely unique. For in sending His Son to die for sinners, He was giving everything, His very self, to those who deserve nothing except judgment. I love the song. I think it captures it well. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. Goes beyond the highest star, reaches to the lowest hell. The word, right, if, if we could ink with the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, and every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole uh, though, uh, from, from sky to sky. Uh, how's the last line go? Those, Yeah, stretch from sky to sky. Yeah. Oh, love of God. How rich, how true, how measureless and strong. And the Holy Spirit, friends, convinces us of that by pointing us to the gospel, pointing us to what Jesus actually accomplished. And then Paul talks about the fruit, then, of that love. The fruit of that love. So, since now, he's going to make this wonderful argument, arguing from greater to lesser, so that we're convinced, that we're absolutely convinced. Since now, we have been justified by his blood. So, it's a past event, it's a reality, uh, it's a current reality based on a past event. We we have now been justified. So, as we stand now in Christ, the verdict has been rendered innocent. Uh, We are robed in Jesus in the righteousness of Christ. And so we stand now as those who have been justified, the verdicts have been granted, and, and the guilt has been canceled. We're declared free now to be innocent, free from all sin, robed in righteousness now. And if that's true now, how much more then shall we be saved from the wrath of God? So if we've already been declared righteous, if we stand now in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, well, how much more will we be saved by the wrath of God? See, Paul is saying the the wrath of God has already been poured out for our sin on Jesus. So that our judgment day has already taken place. It happened at Calvary. The fact of our justification is the assurance of our glorification. We will not be condemned on the last day. You cannot be condemned on the last day if you are a justified child of God. And if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've confessed your sin, you are a justified child of God. Justification is such a wonderful, wonderful truth. The foundation of our hope. Since we have been justified, we have peace with God. And Paul continues, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? If God did the hard thing when we were his enemy, giving up his son to make us his sons and daughters, to restore us and reconcile us to God, so that all animosity is gone, well, how much more now will we be saved By his life, if his death accomplished reconciliation, won't his life complete that ministry, complete that work? That's that's the logic of it. See, Jesus is alive, isn't he? Jesus is, is right now in heaven interceding for us. If God loved us enough when we were his enemies to give his son the most precious gift he had to to die for us and reconcile us, how much more now that we are his precious children, his reconciled children, will we receive his love and, and be saved from his wrath? There's no wrath left for the child of God. Will the father possibly, possibly, After he has given you to Jesus and reconciled you in him, will the Father possibly turn his back? And the answer is no, he cannot. You see, friends, there's an inseparable link between what God accomplished there at Calvary and what he will do for you in the future. And that link is Jesus Christ. That in Christ's death, in Christ's resurrection, your future has been accomplished and secured. He who has the Son has life. 1 John 5, verse 12. I think these are things that we hear so often, and and, and, and we we do believe them, but I'm convinced that one of the the things that has to happen if we're to grow in faith, and one of the things the Spirit does to us as we grow in faith, is He presses these truths home. So that the sense or the conviction of, of being loved. By God, this way, in Christ, by his death on the cross, where all of our sin is is washed away and we receive the robe of righteousness justified in Christ, and now the Holy Spirit at work. So the the growth in our faith will be a growth in exactly this. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. God the Father loves me. You want to... Note the happiest Christians. They're not the Christians who have the easiest life. They're the Christians who have the deepest conviction of the love of God for them in Jesus Christ. They're absolutely convinced that God loves them. And that's what makes, that's what gives them joy. And Paul ends with this response to love. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, in light of, and and when we grasp God's great love for us, we rejoice in God. I love how he says that. We rejoice in God. We're not just rejoicing in our salvation, the gift. We do rejoice in that. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, in all that God has promised to us. But that's not all that we rejoice in. We rejoice in God. Uh, If you have a a significant other who um, shows you, uh, gives you a wonderful gift or just shows great kindness to you and, and great love and care and concern for you in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in amazing ways. You will not just treasure the gift. You'll treasure the giver of the gift. You'll, you'll, you'll delight in the giver of the gift. And that's what Paul is saying. We rejoice in God. We delight in God. And that's the deepest joy, really, of a Christian To be just overwhelmed that what God has accomplished in in, in something that both at the same time exalts God in all of His glory and grace and rescues us in the most magnificent way and to the most magnificent end. That we forever, you and I, just normal, normal, weak people, that you and I are heirs of eternity. Heirs of new heaven and and a new earth. Heirs with Jesus Christ in the presence of God. I mean... It does not get better than that. And so we rejoice in God. We delight in God. That experience of God's infinite saving love for you and the death of the Son is the key, you see, to delighting and rejoicing in God. And friends, this is meant to be the transformative power in our life. I say this so often, I just every time every sermon seems to end here, come here. But you think about well, how does Paul live his life? The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who did what? Who loved me and gave his life for me. Who loved me and gave his life for me. Friends, I just like to ask you again, what difference would it make in your life? If the Holy Spirit did that work, which he's seeking to do, striving to do to convince you that you are the precious, beloved child of God. To those in Rome, loved by God and called to be saints. To those in Grand Rapids, Michigan, loved by God, called to be saints. It's the most precious truth. A story is told of Carl Barth, famous theologian, uh, giving a lecture at um, University of Chicago, I believe. And um, this is 1962. Some student asked him, "Of all your studies, uh, all the things that you've learned, how, how would you summarize your, uh, the, the, the greatest findings? Uh, uh, you know, tell us what, what's the most precious thing you've discovered?" And Carl and Bright said, "Well, I learned it when, as a, when I was a child." Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Friends, the Bible is written to convince us of the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. And that love is meant to change how we think, how we feel, how we live, how we pray. That we are people who are more and more being molded, grasping the height and and, and length and width and depth of the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. May God grant it. Amen. Father in heaven, this is a theme that we return to again and again, but Lord, it's it's so important so that we can stand in times of trial, that we can rejoice even in times of suffering, that we can resist the devil and fight against sin, that we can have hope and joy and peace in believing, this is, Lord, the rock we stand on, that, that you love us, you love us in Jesus. And I pray, oh God, that we would, we would then take this truth into our homes, take this truth, Lord, into our hearts as we tuck our, our children into bed at night, as we live together as husband and wife, as we live as a single person, as we engage the world this week, As we deal with our own sinful nature, Lord, I pray that we would would do life this way. Experiencing, believing, that you love us. And that we would, Lord, knowing that love, we would, we would find the peace and the, the patience of God in our life. There would be joy. There would be compassion. There would be long suffering. Father, we pray you would do this for your name's sake, and we pray that you would do this, Lord, for our our joy, our blessing. May we be people who who not only believe the, the gospel and understand the gospel, but who delight in the gospel as we revel in the knowledge that we, though we deserve nothing but condemnation, we are loved forever by God. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing that hymn, The Love of God is Greater Far. that god has called you to live go in the conviction of his love and grace to you the grace of the lord jesus christ and the love of god the father and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with you and abide with you all amen